If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 5 again, Matthew chapter 5, and tonight verses 33 through 37. We'll continue on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, life on God's terms, living the way God wants us to live. Jesus made it plain in verses 17 through 20 about the law, or as we often refer to it as the Old Testament. He said, think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And then he begins to show us what was said in the the rest of the chapter 5 after that. He takes various statements and positions that God said and made in the Old Testament. And then he begins to explain to us what was intended to be meant by those statements. And we've looked at things like, well, look upon a woman to lust, you know, that he said in the eyes of God, in your heart, lust is there. And when you lust like that, you are guilty of adultery in the eyes of God. And you can't argue with him. On the great day of judgment, you'll have, you will not be able to convince him any otherwise. And he, we've been going through these things, and he talks about anger, about if you're angry with your brother without a cause, then you're guilty of murder. And some of those things are really challenging because we don't see it that way yet. Maybe we think, well, that was Old Testament. Well, Jesus brings it into the New Testament. And he says, this is the way we're going to live. And while I haven't made a lot out of this yet, the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about how we will live in his kingdom with him being the king. It's kingdom living. It's how Christians live in a sinful world or a sinful or evil environment. This is how we're supposed to conduct our affairs how we're supposed to behave, what we're supposed to do with, with what happens in the world, and this is how we're supposed to live. And so he makes that clear to us. Last week, we talked, the last three weeks, we talked about one of the more difficult subjects in our society, and that's marriage and divorce and, and things that cause the termination of it. It's not a fun subject. People have passionate feelings about it, as I've said. But... Uh, Without more comments, we've looked at that for three weeks. If you want to know what was said, you'll have to go listen to it. But uh, it's a very serious subject. And tonight, in the same thing, we're talking about the principle concerning oaths and swearing. You could also, in a sense, add to it admonitions to truthfulness, to being honest in what you say and committed to what you say. If you said it, then we can count on you to do it. Now, verse 33. Again, you have heard it that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, or yes, yes, or no, no. For whatever is more than these cometh of evil. I would say this is one of those sections of Scripture which is largely neglected. We're aware of it. It just has, it doesn't have a lot of impact in our lives. But he said, like we'll begin and spend most of our time in verse 33 tonight. Jesus said, you have heard that it has been said. And so where did he say that? Let me, let me follow me tonight in three or four places where, where this is said or espoused. Look at Exodus 20. This is the Ten Commandments, the third of the Ten Commandments. And this is a commandment that God gave to His people. It's just as current. It means as much today as it did then. This never changes. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of the Lord shall never pass away. Never. Not in any age, any time. It'll never go away. It always looms there before you as the pure word of God. 
And in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I think most of us have understood that to mean cursing, to using the Lord's name in cursing. I think I've taught it that way myself. And uh, that's been the limit of what most people think about when they think of taking the Lord's name in vain. So they don't use it, the Lord's name in vain. They don't curse. So this is not much of a verse to, to be concerned with. However, a deeper investigation of this, you begin to see how the, the scribes had corrupted the law of God to the people in the time of Jesus and how they probably thought it something like that too. But I think it's much more than that because Jesus said in verse 34, he said, swear not at all. Now, he doesn't mean curse not at all. What we're talking about here has nothing really to do with cursing. But it has to do with forswearing. Forswearing is perjury. It's, it's really lying. It's like lying in a court. You, if a story is one way, you told it another way to save your neck or somebody else's neck, and you lie in a court of law, you've perjured yourself, and you are guilty, therefore, of an, another crime. You see, a forswear is when you swear falsely. Now, what Jesus is telling us here is that in swearing, you're taking an oath, you're committing yourself to what you promised, or you said you would do something, and that's what he's talking about. Well, we live in a world in which half the things you hear that people tell you, you can't believe it anyway because most people's word isn't that good. How common is it to pick up a phone and need something and you call a, a, some business or somebody that does service work and they'll, well, okay, we'll be there first thing in the morning and they, and they don't get there until the first thing three mornings later. And because originally they had no true intention of being there in the morning, they want you to wait for them, but they had no intention of being there. I mean, you gave them your word, but it wasn't true. Now, that's called a vain word because it, it was not honest. You, wouldn't, you didn't say it because you were working on and knew you could be there at 10 o'clock in the morning. But you said it because that's, well, that's business. That's the way we do it. We want you to wait for us to get time to come and do that. We don't want you to call somebody else. So we, okay. Stay with us. We'll be there. We'll be there in the morning. And it's so frustrating and so aggravating, and people talk about things like that all the time. But this is what we're talking about in this part tonight, in this part of the Old Testament. Now, look in Leviticus. Let me show you some of those places I'm talking about. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12. Now, Leviticus 19 and verse 12, it said, And you shall not swear by my name falsely. Now, swear, again, we think of the word swear as like taking an oath before God or something, which is the way people took it too. You, know, you swear an oath. You took an oath. I mean, in a court of law, what do they tell you to do? You put your hand on the Bible and do what? They say, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. You invoke the name of God. That adds not only sanctity, but uh, a commitment that you're supposed to have. You know, anybody swear by, by God, uh, you can't swear by anything higher. There's not a higher truth. There's not a higher law or power authority to be known than God. And to swear by God is to go to the highest level you can to emphasize your willingness to tell the truth. And you lay your hand on the Bible because that is God's Word. And then the same court today trying to get rid of both of them. But anyway, uh, this is what he's talking about. And he said, You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord thy God. I am the Lord. And when you use God's name in a vain or undishonest way, you profane his name and you use it vainly, uselessly, because you didn't mean it anyway. But people do that all the time. They get by with it. Nobody really does much to you. They talk about you, but, you know, it's no big deal. But this is a common occurrence in life, that people's word is not good. And what if I said it like this? As Christians, we are distinct 
from all the rest of society a true Christian because if we say we will do it, we will. If we said we can, then we can. If, if we said we saw it, we actually saw it. If we told you we will do it, we will do it. If we told you we'll be there, we will be there. Now, there's reasons you couldn't be there. Of course, you, something could happen along the way. But your word is your bond because in your Christ-likeness, in your be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in perfect, it would include that as God watches over his word to perform it and he keeps his word, so you likewise should put a lot of honesty in the words that you put, in the words that, that you say. You commit yourself to honesty because God is honest. You commit yourself to truth because God is a God of truth. You're no longer allowed to mislead people by saying things, you know, that you don't mean. Because that's not what a Christian does. That would be evil. That's giving your word in vain. It's useless. It's not going to work because you didn't mean for it to work. And God condemns people in the Old Testament because that's the way they treat people. You think about it. You get a person's hopes up that you're going to do this or that, and then you don't do it, and they're, you know, they're just ready to go, and then you don't show up, or you don't do what you said, or you don't give what you said, or do what you said you would do, and it just disappoints people. And you got bad feelings, and then we have trouble getting over, over that. And God is saying, now you have heard that it was said, you, you don't do this, that. He said, but I'm saying to you, don't even swear at all. I mean, if your word is, is your bond, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, your word is what we can count on. If you gave God your word about what you are willing to do, how many have you ever heard people have a foxhole prayer, Lord, you get me out of this and I'll be in church the rest of my life? That's right. That's a word. You gave your word. You committed yourself to God. You approached God. You said, Lord, you do this for me. If you'll heal my daughter, heal me, whatever, I'll do this or that. Lord, of one man, the Bible said, if you do this or that, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll sacrifice it to you. And he met his daughter. And he was committed to that. Now, what happened? I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't. I haven't talked to him. I don't know what he did. But God holds us to our word. There is a chapter... I think in the book of Judges or Leviticus, whereby if you make a vow, if you commit yourself to something and you didn't really know what you were talking about, there's a way to get out of that. But otherwise, God says your words have a powerful impression on God as to what you say. By your words, he said. By your words, you're justified. And by your words, you're condemned. Words, the things that we say are dishonest things that we say. We sing words all the time. I'll go through, precious Jesus, I'll go through. And the first little problem that gets in the way, we back up and back off because we didn't mean it. We didn't really mean that. And this is what he's talking about. Christians can't do that. You've got to put a watch before your mouth. If, you're, if you think something is coming that you should be committed to, I think you should draw back and count the cost first. Because when you say you will, then you're in. So you need to count the cost and guard your mouth and guard the door of your lips and don't sin. Remember that? Put a, set a watch before my mouth and guard the door of my lips lest I sin against thee, lest you say you will do something and then turn around and don't do it, which God would call sin. Because he's not like that and he doesn't want you as his followers to be like that either. Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30, if a man vow a vow, that's Numbers 30 verse 21. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear to an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. What if he said this, Lord, my business is struggling. I know you can bless it because I know a lot of people who are blessed with customers and income and sufficiency as well as abundance. And I pray, Lord, that you'll bless my business. And if you will, if you will, I will give you 15% of all the profit that we make. And, uh, you know, when you don't have any profit and you're barely getting by, that's, that's just a good prayer. 
But one day a lot of money comes in. God honors that. He starts sending customers your way. That's the way I pray for people. He begins to send people in with money who want to buy. And they come in and they spend money. And all of a sudden he's looking at, he's made a lot of money. Let's say the 10, 15% off the total that comes in before you, anything else comes out of it. And a good week would be $2,000 in a business of some sort after you pay all the help. And suddenly $5,000 a week starts coming in. See, $5,000, whoa, man. So he starts rethinking what he said. Now, God said, if you said you would do it, God will hold you to your word. He kept his end of the bargain. He's making it come in. Now, it's up to you to prove to him that your word is good. Because if your word's no good, you're no good. How about that? I can tell you one thing without preaching any more tonight or teaching or talking any more tonight. If you know somebody who you can't trust, they have little value as a human being, as far as a brother or whatever, a trustworthy individual. They have little value in your eyes. Now, you're not better than them. I don't mean that. You're not better than We're not better than anybody. We're just better, hopefully, than we used to be. And since God has attached himself to us, he's given life a new meaning. But if, if your word's no good, I'll call you in the morning. First thing in the morning, I'll call you. I'll get back with you. And then you completely say, I ain't going to call that because that take all morning to talk to him or her. Your word's no good. You're dishonest. And it's an indication, it's a symptom of something deeper in your life that you've never dealt with. You're one of those people that has always said things to improve relationships, but you never really meant it. And nobody ever held you to it. Nobody ever got in your face over it, so you keep on doing it. But he said here in Numbers 20, or 30, verse 21, he said, He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Now, you can say, well, that's Old Testament. Yes, it is. And the principle that is taught in the Old Testament, which is brought out in the New, is brought out by Jesus. He said, you shall not forswear thyself. You don't commit yourself and say things you're not going to do. And if you can't do it, don't say you will. How's that? If you have no intention of living the Christian life, then don't tell people you're a Christian. Your word is your bond. If you say, I'm a believer, then I should expect you to be a believer. And you, me. Amen? That, that's our word. Anything people know about us initially comes from what we say. You know, our, our speech is a revelation of what's inside of us. Not only our actions, of course, but the words that come out of our, our mouth tell people a whole lot about us. And the things you like to talk about, the, you know, the things you like to entertain yourself with, that's in there too. Look at Deuteronomy, next book over. Go to Deuteronomy 23 and verse 21. He says it again. Jesus said, now this is what you have heard. I don't think when Jesus told him what he said, I don't know, I don't think it was a direct quote. What Jesus said in verse 33 was a direct quote from the Old Testament, but this is probably the way they had heard it. And he's referring to that. So here's another verse. Verse 21, Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. Now, what does pay it mean? To, to do it, to perform it, right? All right. You shall not slack to perform it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Sin in thee. Now, look at verse 22. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips shalt thou keep and perform, even a freewill offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Now, Old Testament freewill offerings, Old Testament anything, that's fine. The principle is the same for them and more so for us. When you tell the Lord you're going to do something, I love you, Lord. I will follow you all the days of, of my life. Then do it. Do it. I know you're not perfect. I know that. We struggle. Just like we can't always be there in the morning at 5 o'clock because 
the car really wouldn't start. And everybody else was asleep, so we couldn't wake anybody up at 5 o'clock or whatever. But God holds us to our word. If somebody hires you to work for them and, and they say to you, will you do us a good job? And you say, I'll do you a good job, then you should because you're a Christian. You couldn't trust the world to do that. They say anything they have to say to get a job or to gain favor. But a Christian doesn't say something to get favor. He says something because he's compelled to say what is right. And he says, I will do it. I look at the Psalms, verse 66. Chapter 66 in the Psalms. Again, we're still looking at what Jesus was talking about in verse 33 when he said, You have heard by them of old. Psalm 66 and verse 13. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. What does that mean? Pay meaning what? Meaning I will perform those promises I have made to you as my God. I will do that. And that includes coming to the house of the Lord. Things he has vowed, verse 14, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I wonder if God would ever allow any of us to have a time of trouble so that we would turn to the Lord with renewed interest and realize when the heat's on and when the pressure is there, realize that you need some help. And then realize that, you know, you haven't been exactly super superstar in this Christian life. You've been slacking off and taking a lot of things for granted. You've been compromising a whole lot of your life and testimony. Who's to say that some of these things that have happened to you haven't happens to bring you to this realization right, right now that you and God are not really getting along and it's not his fault? Now, if you want to get some things, you, you better reassert yourself with the Lord and give God a better word than you have been given him. How many times do people in trouble make promises to God? Lord, if you'll heal my daughter, if you'll heal my son, if you'll get us out of this, if you'll cause this, if you'll do that, and then you make a promise. I'm telling all of you here tonight, whoever's out there in the world, listen to us. Don't make a promise you're not willing to keep. Don't come forward in a church service and say, I'm going to get saved unless you really mean it. Don't say, I want, to, I want to walk with Jesus if you really don't want to. If you're afraid of what it's going to cost you, don't say it. There's a time you, before you say anything or do anything, you sit down and you count the cost. And to really, as we said, Sonny, to really examine yourself and to make a determination in your life whether or not you really are sincere about what's before you. You really want to do this? Are you really sincere about this? God will put you to the test. But you've got to commit yourself. And that's what this, your word or a vow or an oath was speaking of here. Go over two more books from Psalms to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4. And here is a fifth verse for us tonight that Jesus could have referred to. When thou vowest a vow unto God, Ecclesiastes 5, 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, again, to perform it. For God hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast owed. What does that mean? Do you owe if you vow? Well, do you or not? If a young man or a young woman stands in front of the preacher with the congregation behind them, as we say so often, before God and these witnesses, to be joined together in marriage, to become each other's lifelong mate. And they take a vow that we can all usually hear. Sometimes it's pretty soft, kind of nervous, I guess. But she repeats after a man or a woman will ever make in this world. The first one is to turn to Jesus. I surrender all. 
And then a man begins to surrender part of his life to his wife because he's no more himself able to fully be dedicated to the Lord in his way. But now he's got a woman or a man in his or her life and he can't just do what he wants to do anymore because he's committing himself to letting her or him have a vital role in their life as a companion, one whom God has brought to him. Whoso findeth a wife, the Bible says, has found a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And a virtuous woman is hard to find. Her price is far above rubies. And he has to believe that you're one of them. And he marries her. She marries him, and they do so with a vow. That's the, what the whole thing's about. A public confession from him to her to be to him or her what God in the Bible requires. What did he say in your verse there in Ecclesiastes 5? For when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to perform it or pay it. For God has no pleasure in fools. Well, how many marriages are made up of fools? I know yours is, and I'm not talking about anybody here, thank God. But how many marriages wind up being a partnership of fools? Because the first little thing that doesn't go right, the first time it doesn't fit and fly and do, and at first, the first time I'm not pleased or happy with the decision made, and then you get on the phone, and almost always they start talking to other people about their problem, which is the very worst thing to do. Yapping. And you start with words. You start telling about, and then she becomes a seat of your wife the companion of your life. She becomes the old lady. And she's not at all old. And she becomes less than what you committed yourself to. And you begin to back away from your commitment. You are living the life of a fool. God said that. Because you made a vow unto the wife that you believe that God brought into your life. And you're not deferring to pay that. You're a fool. You may be religious, but you're a religious fool. You may be very sincerely religious, but you're very sincerely religious and foolish to boot. Committing yourself to somebody or something is a big deal, like in a court of law. You lay your hands on the Bible, and they require this. What would a Christian do? Well, the Christian would say, I cannot swear. I will simply give you my word. Now, they would say, well, what makes your word any better? I'm a Christian. Well, it don't matter to us. Well, then that's the best I'm going to do. And if that won't work, then lock me up. That's the price I pay for my convictions. So be it. How many people say, no, 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 I'll swear. I'll swear. Don't put me in jail with them hoodlums in there. Sometimes you just have to let yourself be tested. It happens all the time. People commit themselves, swear to them. I pledge allegiance to the flag. How do you pledge allegiance to cloth? Well, it's what it stands for. What does it stand for? One nation under God? Which one? Indivisible? Our last president won by half of a vote, half of a percent. We're pretty divided. We always will be. Liberty and justice for all? You know what? I've... I love the country I'm in. This is where, it's my favorite place on the planet Earth. This is my favorite little place where I live, my favorite little home, my favorite little road, and my favorite little driveway. I say all my favorites. But there's something that means more to me than all of this. If so I'm willing to leave it all, walk away from it, never look back, and that's God. Now, that's a word you committed yourself to him for. Now, it's been tested in your life whether you realize it or not or knew it or not. Will you live on his terms? Will you live as he describes, prescribes for you to live? All the things you've heard for 30 years that God said, this is the way walk ye in it. Are you willing to say, I will? And if you say, I will, are you? We ought to preach sometime on 2 Corinthians 13, 5 about examining yourself to see if you really are in the faith or not. That'd be a good verse to use for a sermon again Sunday morning. This is how serious it is with God about our words. Turn to Psalms 15. 
Go back to the Psalms in verse 15 and verse 4. You see, the Jews in the days of Christ were permitted to swear. They were permitted to swear by the name of their God. And again, they were permitted to swear by the name of their God because there was, there was no higher authority, no greater anything that a man could appeal to than God himself. And so they did allow them to swear in the name of the Lord. Sometimes they would say, God do so more so to me tomorrow if so-and-so is not dead by the end of the day. That means if I don't kill him today, may I die tomorrow. And, and they would take that kind of an oath. They shouldn't have, but they, oft, they often did. But see, all we're talking about here is a prohibition by God against false swearing, false giving of your word, false pledging, giving your word to anything or anybody and not keeping it. If we are Christians, we must be a Christian in our honest commitment to what we say. If you say, I love you, then you must demonstrate that. You can't turn back. You've got to love. Even if he leaves home, you love. Even if she leaves home, you still love. You'll see the next end of this chapter, the next two of them, he said, you, you even love your enemies. You even turn your cheek. Not because your enemy deserves somebody to slap around on, but because you're obeying God, trusting God to take care of your enemies, and so forth. But he says in Psalms 15 and verse, verse 4, in this big long psalm here, in verse 4, he said, He that sweareth to his own hurt. This is about a righteous man. This is the, the way a kingdom of God man lives in Psalm 15, 4. And one of the things he mentions in verse 4, is He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that sweareth, he that giveth his word to something, even if he should not have, and it's going to cost him, he keeps his word because his word is his bond. I remember once in a, in a car deal with my friend Joey Marks years ago. I had my numbers backwards, and I had over the phone said, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And then I drove up there, and all the time I'm driving up, I think, that's not, that's not a very good deal. And the further I would drive, I think maybe my car run out of gas and I can't make it today. Because the more, the more I drive, the, the, the more dumbness is beginning to crowd my thinking. That wasn't a very good... What am I thinking? Why would I, why would I say that? So I got up there and we got talking, but I committed myself. I was going to do it. It was going to cost me way more. I won't even go into that. It's going to cost me a whole lot more than it should have. Well, he's the one that told me. He said, you can't make this deal. He said, this, this, that's way too much. I said, well, I know it is. But I said I would, and I will, unless you tell me no. He said, well, no, I ain't going to take that much. Nice boy, wasn't he? <laughs> Let me off the hook like that. All I'm saying is that sometimes we do mess up. We should be a little more careful about what we say. It's not wrong to be quiet. How many of you know a study to be quiet is biblical? Sometimes the, the mouth is hooked up to a chatterbox heart, and it just, it just wants to because talk like you're on some kind of speed. But you want to just keep your mouth shut some, sometimes and think about what you've heard, especially if you're getting mad about and you Think about what you're about to say. And about how God would feel about it and whether or not you could have his favor in what you're going to say. And you need to be careful. I, I am sure in my lifetime that when, that when God said, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Now he speaks that to whoever is listening to it. You'll be made right with your words, and if your words are not right, you'll be condemned. That's what God said. That's in Matthew chapter 12. But God hates false oaths. And there's so much of it today, and there's, it, you hear it so much. People are always saying that, 
Well, you told me you would. Well, I, I couldn't get there. Well, I know, but you said you'd be there. I'm counting on you, man. Why, man, back off a little bit. I, I couldn't make it. I just, I meant to be there. And people have some hard feelings like that. Go to the end of the Old Testament, next to the end, Zechariah. Look in there at, at a verse that God talks about what he hates. That's a pretty strong word for God to say there's something here specifically that he hates loathes or despises. Zechariah 8, Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 17. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor and love no false oath. For all these things, all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Would a false oath be like saying, when you got caught, I swear to God, I'll never do it again. You ever heard that? People say that? I know you never said it. Thank God, none of us have done it. But I swear to God, I didn't do it. I swear to God, I won't do it no more. I swear. Or the drunk tells the cop, I swear to God, you take me home, I'll, 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 never, I'll never get drunk again. I got caught one time speeding when I was a youngster in my hometown. Going, I think, 40 miles an hour in a 30-mile zone. <laughs> and... Uh, the local pulled me over. I knew, you know, known Adam all my life and his life. He told me to go home. I said, I swear, if you let me go home, Adam, I won't be out here no more. I'm going home. And he said, you better get home. If I catch you out here in five minutes, I'm going to take you to jail. So I went home. You see, when I say I swear, it's supposed to emphasize how sincere you are. As a Christian, you don't need to add any words to your yes or your no because you're already a Christian. God is at work inside of you. The Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Truth is in you. If you're obedient to all of that, then what comes out of your mouth is what you're really willing to do. But in Zechariah 8, he said, Let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor, and love no false oath, for all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Now, in the day of Jesus, back to Matthew 5 in our text, the day of Jesus, he was probably referring to a teaching which probably said, no oath that you take is binding unless you swear to God with it. That is, if you don't swear by something, whatever is a big deal for people to say, whoa, like a hand on the Bible and a hand up to God, if you don't swear by something like that, it didn't mean it. Like when two little kids, we were kids, and uh, one of them didn't do what the other one said or something didn't go right, and they said, you said you would, and they said, I, I, I didn't swear. Which, you know, when I was a kid, I remember something like that, which the only time what you said was binding was if you swore to do something. You said you promised. I didn't swear I would. So if I don't swear, it doesn't count. I think that's probably one of the things that was going on with these Pharisees. I think that they had devised a way, these scribes and so forth, had devised a way of swearing without perjury. So I didn't swear by God. Turn over to Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and verse 16. Matthew 23, verse 16. Here's where the Pharisees, Jesus uh, cracks down on them pretty good here. Matthew 23 and verse 16 says some pretty hard things. I don't think you'd ever have a big church talking like this. And nobody's ever going to buy a lot of books and tapes when you talk like this. But this is what, this is what Jesus said. Matthew 23, verse 16 through verse 22. Woe unto you, you blind guides. Now, these were the teachers of the day, the ones who had the scrolls. The common man didn't. They had what we call the Bible. And the common man could only get out of the Bible what these people taught him. So he said to these teachers of the law, Woe to you, blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, well, he is a debtor. Now, God never said that, but they made that up because people could believe that, and they would believe that. And Jesus says, you fools and blind, for what is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? 
And you say, whosoever shall swear by the altar, it's nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gift that is upon, upon it, he is guilty. You fools and blind, for what is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Whoever or whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things therein. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereupon. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites and so forth. This is where all this came from, swearing by the heavens and swearing by this or that because the temple was the focus of the Hebrew life. The temple was where God had met man and where the sacrifices took place. It was what was a constant visual reminder of who the Jews were. This was their God. This is the way they relate to him. But their relationship to God was flawed because the ones who were the leaders mistaught the people into not being sincerely honest before God with what they said and did. They could swear by the temple. They could swear by the gold in the temple or the gift on the altar. And they put a lot of value on the fact that I swear by my dead grandmother's grave, whom I love with all my, I swear by her. Because to some people or to him, that was the most noble individual he ever knew or she ever knew growing up was a grandmother. See, we all look for something to, they did, we don't. Look for something to, to give meaning or sanctity to your, to your oath. If we do this, if we say by, I swear by the temple, well, then we, you know, the temple means a lot, and that's the way it uh, should be. But that's not the way God wants it to be. How many times do children say, I'll tell you something if you promise you won't tell? You ever done that? I know you all probably haven't. I'll tell you something if you promise you won't tell. And there was a time in your life you said, okay, and then they told you. Then later on when you begin to learn how corrupt people are, they said, promise. I'll tell you something if you promise you won't tell. I, I, I won't. Cross your heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in your eye. Say that. <laughs> now, I know you all never did that. That's what, that was back in the dark ages when I did. Your promise was made sure, and you would get a, a secret told to you if you said, I cross my heart and hope to die. I'll stick a needle in my eye. Okay, if you say that, then I will tell you. As though people said, that's what you're held to. But see, even then, without knowing what we're talking about, they knew that your word was supposed to be important, even to the point of death and, and being blind in one of your eyes. <laughs> and so it was just a big deal. It was just a big, a big deal. The deeper meaning and the intention of the law as Jesus taught it is that our word is the statement of our honesty. If we say it, we will do it. But isn't that what our faith is all about? Is not our faith based on what God said? That we have no basis for faith in God unless we know what God says. Amen? We could have no faith at all if there was a doubt in our minds that God who said something, we, we were not sure that God would do it. And that's a lot of people's problems. They're sure He can, he can do little things, but when it comes to big, important things or serious things... They're just not sure that God will do it. Maybe they think they're not worthy enough, they're not big enough, good enough, important enough for God to waste His time or spend time healing their body or saving their loved one or whatever. And what it comes down to with all of us, I say us editorially as church, people who don't want to trust God are not convinced that God will do for them what He said. Because we are so often guilty of measuring God by each other. We have humanized God so much in our lives that we cannot imagine God being different than us. That's why people say today, oh, come on now, don't you think? 
I mean, after all, don't you think God would understand that if you didn't, that's the way they do it. And that's their theology. But you think about it. Faith in God is to be convinced in your heart that he who said it cannot but do it. He has bound himself to his word. Go back to the middle of your Bible, the Psalms. Psalms 138 and verse 2. Look at verse 2, Psalms 138. God has bound himself to his word. We know Jeremiah 1.12 says that God watches over his word to what? Perform it. If he said it, Numbers 23.19, it says, If God said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Isaiah 55, he said, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me empty or void or useless, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Or whatever I sent it to, it will prosper. Now, if there's one verse in the Bible that said God is a healing God and will heal His people, just one verse, then that's what He does. If there was Psalm 103 that said He forgives all of our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. You can't make sin sickness out of that. Diseases are talking about diseases. Because the first part of the verse talks about your sins when He saves you. One verse, just just one verse, that's all I can hold on to, one verse right there in Psalm 103, and heals all our diseases. Now, my question is, will he do that for me? See, if I am not convinced he will do that for me, I won't live like he will. I'll find somebody else to do it. I'll do the best I can to get myself well or healthy or delivered or whatever it is. And the reason I don't just trust in the Lord and count upon Him to do it is because I'm not sure that He will. But His Word, the Word you're holding in your lap that we've been talking about for years, this is the Word that God has given to us so that we can count on Him to do what He said. The verse you're looking at in verse 2, He says, He will honor His Word even above all of His name. Now what more do you need For God to do to emphasize to us what we can count on in this life. We can't go by feelings. Sometimes I have the feeling and the emotion that this probably isn't going to work because it's gone too far now. But my faith isn't based on my feelings. My faith is not, my, my emotions are a terrible measure or gauge for faith. My mind may say, well, I've never seen it work yet. How can this be? I mean, after all, look at all the people that aren't and all the people that prayed and they didn't get faith. And so your intellect comes in. But your faith can't be based on your intellect either. My relationship to God is not intellectual. It's spiritual. You don't have to be smart to relate to God. Aren't you glad? Some of you. Some of us. Because God can take the most uncomely member of the church. And open their eyes to a wisdom that can only come from God. And cause their life to take on meaning and purpose. And walk in such a way that while people feel sorry for the poor soul, you walk in such a way that God ministers to you, delivers you, supplies your needs, make life joyful and peaceful. And very few people have that. And yet he's promised it. 8,000 promises in that Bible which he said he honors his word even above all of his name. We go to church every week and hear some version of it. In Christian circles, it gets mentioned often. We talk to each other about it. And yet so many times when problems come, it's not, it's not the integrity of God that we're counting on. Something else. And we don't understand why so-and-so didn't get something or why something didn't come to pass or this or that, thus or so. And if you tell a person, it's a faith problem. It's a you and God problem. I know, but God said he would and he didn't do it. You didn't believe he would. You asked him to. You prayed that he would. 
But faith is not about asking. Faith is about receiving. Are you all here? What things soever you desire. When you broadcast, turn your receiver on. Because when you speak back to God, God has already spoken to you. You hear me? When you speak back to God, His Word, when you quote the Word back to God, it's because He's already spoken it to you. You're responding to what He said. Now, if you believe what He said, that's the end of the deal. I don't have to keep praying about this. I don't need to labor over this anymore because I have heard it. I have believed it. It's settled. I don't feel better. I don't look better because Jesus said when you pray, believe. He didn't say you would look better. He didn't say you'll feel better. But he said you will be better. You don't know when or how, but he said you will. But a lot of church folks are just not convinced that God will do what he said, just like we're not sure that each of us will do what we said. We sort of measure God as we measure each other. We put God in the same slot we put man. But God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he should take it back. But if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. Because again, in Psalm 138, verse 2, looking at you there, he honors his word even above all of his name. We don't need to add anything as Christians to our words, to be honest. We don't have to say, I swear to you, I didn't, I will. You don't, we don't have to do that. We just simply say, I will. You swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I won't swear to nothing, but I will tell the truth. I will. Did you shoot that dog? No. You're supposed to say, I swear I didn't shoot that dog. You just say, no, I did not shoot that dog. Yes, I did want to. <laughs> no, I did not. Wouldn't shoot a cat, but maybe a dog. But no, I did not. See, our words, our words are what spirit of truth is all about in our lives. We speak those things which are honest. Colossians, if you'll turn as we begin to come to a halt tonight, a close in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. What does salt mean? Salt is a preservative. There's a verse in the Bible that says, let there be salt between us. A preserving influence. Honor and integrity and meaning. What I said I will do and what you said I believe that you will do. There is salt between us. This is what he's talking about. He said, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Give a little thought to what you're going to say. What you say, mean it. And then do it and show it with your life. That's what you're supposed to do. And again, your word, folks, your word is your bond. None of us can tell anybody what we'll do tomorrow. I can't tell you that I'll be here Sunday morning. You can't tell me you'll be here Sunday morning. None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody does. So we can't make a lot. I can't vow. I vow before God Almighty I'll be here Sunday morning. You can't do that. You can say if the Lord wills I'll be here. Unless he has another plan. But we have to learn to measure our words carefully to guard the door of our mouth. As you turn to James 5 in closing, you have to learn that, that God holds you, that to what you say, you're accountable for. That all of us, and nobody in here is accepted. When we stand before God, we will give an account of two things, what you said and what you did with it. Think of how little we will, we will talk tomorrow. I heard a man say one time, a man who was well-known international if I mentioned his name, you'd all know him. I mean, he was known around the world. And he told me once, and I'm not going to throw a name out here or nothing, but he told me once, he said, you can tell a man who prays a lot because he talks a little. 
And I, at the time, it didn't mean much to me because I loved to run my mouth. <clears throat> but as I get older and as things have settled down a little bit and you begin to take, pay more attention to what's going on, more so than you used to, you, you got more things to bring before God's attention. And there is more of a, a caution in your life. There is more of a, uh, things you pray about. People call on the phone. I said when they get, most of the time we get through talking with somebody, especially if it's somebody in the church that has a need, when they hang up, I pray for them. That's not why God blesses them or makes them better. I mean, that's not the reason why, but it's just something that I do and, and I can do. There was a time I'd have just been glad they'd hung up and I got other things to do, but then you stop and think, well, you know, the least I can do besides talking to this person about some things is pray for them. And if you tell them, you know, we're going to help you out and we're going to start doing this, then you got to do that. Don't say you'll do something if you're not going to do it. Don't say you'll be there if you can't make it there. Just say, well, I'm, my goal is to be there in the morning. My goal is to, is to fix whatever if I'm a businessman or I come over and take you to the store in the, in the morning as long as nothing happens and gets in the way. And that's as far as I can go with it. That's our word. That's our word. And I think back to something we said a while ago about marriage. I think every young girl, every older girl gets married, whoever, and every man that marries, I think they should have a right. I don't know who's ever done this, but to ask Brother Hamilton if they got married here for a copy of the vows and Get some of that fancy writing on the internet with a little lacy looking stuff around it and hang it on the wall somewhere in the house in a prominent place. And every time you walk by there, it says, he said to me and she said to me. And then have a little marker, one of those markers you can write on glass, but erase it off like these things here. And then whenever he's not doing too well, you kind of make it a little minor and say, you are not doing that. I wouldn't suggest you do that. <laughs> that only starts a war. The point of it is, if my wife said she would love me and all the things you say, should I expect that? I didn't at the time. It's just a formal thing we did. Everybody gets married like this. They all talk this way. Heathens take vows all the time. And God holds heathens to these things. I mean, even the Jews that swore to their false gods swore by all of those heathen gods. God held them to all of that. He judged them for it. But not to perform that, but he held it against them. But in James chapter 5 and verse 12, but above all things, brethren. Isn't that a pretty big way to start a sentence? But above all things? Now, above all things, I, see, I'm thinking there's a lot of things. A lot of important things I can think of. But above all things, brother, this will get you, in other words, in James 5, this will get you in trouble as much as anything else in your life. As much as anything else in your life is your mouth. Above all things, brethren, swear not. Neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. But as Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into what we've been talking about, condemnation. Above all things, wow, above all things, swear not. Then we could close and say this, and the devil is at work constantly to get us to open our mouth to things that we cannot do or things we're unwilling to do. And in the Old Testament, to take the Lord's name in vain was to, was to swear that I'll do this or I'll do, do that, and you didn't do it. And vain or vanity means useless, nothingness. You didn't mean that. That, was, that didn't matter to nothing, except you're going to be judged for it. That's what taking the Lord's name in vain was probably meant to, understood, to be understood. It's your words, your commitment to something. Amen. Jesus said back in Matthew 5 and verse 38, You have heard that it was said by, old, by them of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I say to you, 
And boy, what he says here is going to challenge a lot of people. Challenges me to study it. Because you have to constantly examine your heart. Are you really into this? Are you really there? Are you willing? Hopefully we can all say, I am. But help me rightly divide this word and understand it. Amen in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless the word to our hearts. From our hearts to our heads, that we may assimilate it and understand it. May our will be inclined to do things that you have told us, and that our mind may be renewed in this manner, changed. Give us the grace each day to walk in newness of life. Bear with us, be long-suffering towards us, and help us to be very careful with the words of our mouths as well as the meditations of our heart. For you have said, as you think in your heart, so are you. I ask you to bless this to us. May this have a deep and lasting effect on our lives as we heed it in Jesus' name. Amen.